0: you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, as we continue to look at Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. The plan is to uh, finish up looking at his uh, sermon this this afternoon, Uh, take us through verse 36, um, and then Lord willing, next Sunday, we will look at verses 37 through 41 and consider the response of the crowd and the call to repentance and faith. And then the following week, verses 42 through 47, that great summary of what was happening there in the early church. So that's the uh, the plan going forward. That'll take us right up to Easter, and we'll take a break from Acts for Easter and consider the, the resurrection, though that is a, a bulk of what we'll be thinking about um, this afternoon. But Acts 2. Verses 22 through 36. Despite having virtually zero experience with any of the sports that were represented, our family enjoyed watching the Winter Olympics. We have never been on a bobsled or a luge or a ski jumper, and probably never will, but it was still fun to watch. And whenever I watch the Olympics, whether it's summer or winter, I'm struck by how long and hard you can work at something only to have it disappear in a moment. Um, Watching people where a a slight wrong move can mean one hundredth of a second, which could mean you don't get onto the podium as you expected. Or in sprints where if you false start, is it once or twice? I'm not sure. But if you just do it too much, you don't even get to run the race that you've been training for for at least four years Or maybe in these downhill races, missing one gate means you are completely disqualified from the race. And in all of these situations, what a person has worked for for years to achieve seems to fall through their fingers in a split second. And as I think about that, I think that to the eyes of the disciples, when Jesus died, it probably felt a lot like that. That all that he and they had seemed to be working for and towards over the past three plus years was gone just in a moment it felt like. They had invested their entire lives in following Jesus, believing that he truly was this long awaited Messiah. They had, they had suffered many things to see this dream become a reality. They had left friends, they had left family, they had left comfort to walk with. Christ, They were fully devoted to following Jesus because of who they believed Him to be. But then, in what seemed like to them probably a matter of seconds, Jesus is being laid in a tomb. And right alongside Him, all of their hopes and dreams had died. As we've noted with our, our Lenten candles, the crucifixion makes it appear to our eyes as if Jesus has been snuffed out that God had tried in some way to provide a way of salvation, but the hands of sinful man thwarted his plan. How can a dead Jesus be the Savior of the world? How can someone who's been crucified by Rome be a king? I often turn to this, but I was thinking about how the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. After the death of of Jesus, it describes the scene well. Sally Lloyd-Jones writes, Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus. They laid Jesus in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they did know their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus, the leaders said. But just to be sure, they sent strong soldiers to guard the tomb they hauled a huge stone in front of the door to the tomb so that no one could get in or out. As we read the crucifixion, as we looked at it last week, it all seems like a a tragic, irreversible ending to everything that Jesus had done. And yet, in some mysterious way, as we saw last week, while men and women were completely responsible for the death of Jesus, this was also God's predetermined, foreordained plan. This was not an accident. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit from eternity past had decided that this was how things were going to be, that Jesus had to die. And He was delivered up to do so. But that's not all that Jesus had to do. That's not the end of God's plan, of course. Here in Acts 2, Peter shows us all that happened in the life of Jesus and how that points not to the defeat of Jesus but to the exaltation of Jesus as Lord and Christ not to the the thwarting of of God's plan but to the fulfillment of God's plan. Last week we saw that Jesus was attested. He was he was proven to be the Messiah by by God through his works, through his wonders, through his signs that he did. He was attested. Then he was crucified crucified through the hands of wicked and lawless men. And he was also delivered up, delivered up according to God's perfect plan. So those three things, attested, crucified, delivered up, we're going to add today that he was raised up and he was exalted. And all of these things drive us to the main thrust of Peter's sermon, which is namely this, as we said last week, that Jesus is both Lord and, and Christ. That's what Peter is announcing. He says to the crowd, God has declared, God has announced through everything that happened in the life of Jesus that the One that you crucified, He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. And also He is the Lord. He is God Himself. And therefore, He is the Lord and the Master over all. It was true when Peter said it. It's true today. By showing who Jesus was and is, Peter called his hearers that day and he calls us as we read his sermon to ask, have I come to acknowledge Jesus as Lord in Christ? We'll see this clearly. This is what he's calling the people to, especially in the response of the crowd next week. But it's not too early to start contemplating and asking in our own hearts, is Jesus my only hope? And life and death? Is He the only one that can save me from my sin and and my rebellion against God? And do I see that He also needs to be my Lord, the one who rules over and directs my entire life? I find it interesting that even in this first Christian sermon, we find that the call is to make Jesus both Lord and Christ. To not simply receive the gift of forgiveness, but to submit to Jesus' rule and reign over us. Jesus is Lord and Christ. He is King and Savior. All that God has done through Jesus attests to that. So would you argue with God? Would you say that that's not true about Jesus? Would we live in a way that argues with that? Would we live in a way that denies what God has proclaimed? That Jesus is King and that Jesus is Christ? Well, let's read Acts 2 and we'll read verses 22 through 36 and watch as everything that Peter is saying is is pushing to and crescendos in this announcement of verse 36 that God has declared that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Acts 2 beginning in verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, into the heavens, but He Himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. How do we know that? Because in addition to being Him being attested, crucified, and delivered up, we find that He was raised up. He was raised up. We see this in verses 24 all the way through verse 32. Jesus was raised up. What a wonderful sentence verse 24 is. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. What a rich statement that Peter makes. It begins with with God's action. God raised Jesus up. Though God had delivered Him up into the hands of sinful men who crucified Him, Jesus rose from the dead and he rose from the dead, not simply as one whose old body was resuscitated, not like Lazarus, but Jesus is the first man to be resurrected to a new and glorified body. And we're told that God did this. And we actually know that it's not just the father, but actually the father, the son and the Holy Spirit who are all working together in the miracle of the resurrection. We see it here that God did it. 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifteen, Paul says that God raised Christ from the dead. And so we know that the Father was powerfully at work. But Jesus also says this in John 10, 17-18. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. So he's delivered up, but Jesus is also laying down his life. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Then listen to this. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus Himself is a part of the miracle of the resurrection. And then regarding the Spirit, Paul says in 1 Timothy Timothy 3.16 that Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. And then Peter in 1 Peter 3.18 says that Jesus was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. When you think about the resurrection, realize this, it's the Trinitarian power of God that raises Jesus from the dead. Peter then describes what happened with these these words, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for Him to be held by it it brings to mind the, the picture of a net sort of dragging someone down into the darkness of death. Psalm 116 talks about the, the cords of death entangling the writer. Um, I'm reminded even of, of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2 where he talks about sinking deeper and deeper and the seaweed is wrapping around his head and he's being, going further and further down to death. The nets and the ropes and the chains of death are wrapped around Jesus and they are pulling Him down. But we're told they could not hold Him. He has been loosed from the pangs of death. He's been set free from those chains. That word pangs is is interesting. It, it, it has to do with birth pangs, actually. And so F.F. F. Bruce quotes a man named Bertram who said this, the abyss can no more hold the Redeemer than a pregnant woman can hold the child in her body. I do not know that from personal experience, but I read the quote to my wife and she said, that's a good quote. So I believe it. And some of you can relate to it more than, than I can or, or the rest of the men can. But there's this idea, he says, the Redeemer can't be held any more than a pregnant woman could hold a child in her body. And this idea then is, is of, of new birth. So John Stott says that the resurrection is pictured as a regeneration. A new birth out of death into life. What a beautiful thing. Having tasted death for for us all, Jesus has come through its pain and coming through death, He has blessed us with new life on the other side. In those words, it is not possible. Peter seems to indicate that the, the resurrection had to happen because it was impossible for death to hold Jesus. Wesley writes in his hymn, he says, Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. The death of Jesus seems impossible, but it happens. And then, on the other side, while the resurrection seems on the surface to be impossible, it also makes perfect sense that if Jesus was the sinless Son of God, he would have to rise from the grave. The resurrection is often said to be, that's impossible. And Peter says the exact opposite. It's impossible for him not to rise from the dead. Though he had become the sin bearer, he had paid the penalty for our sin through his atoning death, he would not, he could not be held by death because death exists because of sin. But the sinless one, the sinless Savior, can't be rightly or permanently held by death. He had to rise. The laws of God's creation demanded that Jesus not be held by death. Therefore, we can sing as we sang, crown Him the Lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those who came to save. Jesus truly died and He truly rose, triumphing over the final enemy of death. That's quite the claim. Resurrection? That God raised Jesus from the dead? In fact, the claim of resurrection, as we'll see as we continue to go through the book of Acts, when resurrection comes up, very often the crowd responds immediately with mocking at that point, and they will not listen. And that happens even today. But resurrection is central to our faith because if Jesus did not rise, as Paul says, then we are to be pitied. But the reality is that he did rise. And so by way of proving that fact, Peter says to those who are listening that the resurrection happened and he knows it happened because first it was foretold by the prophets and second it was witnessed by the apostles. That's sort of the argument that he makes here. He says God raised him up. We know it's true because first of all it was foretold by the prophets. It was, it's part of God's plan so it had to happen. And secondly it's witnessed by the apostles. So first in verses 25 through 31, he makes the argument that this resurrection was foretold by the prophets. Speaking to a Jewish audience, remember, so he's going to bring in the, the witness of the Old Testament Scriptures. He quotes Psalm 16, the words of David. And while we could consider everything that's there, we could look at the whole psalm even. The key idea is in verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. What does that mean? The first idea is about not being left in Hades. And this simply means that that he would not be left in the realm of the dead. Hades is neither positive nor nor negative. It's simply the place of the departed. Um, And the second phrase regarding not seeing corruption means that his body would not decay. His flesh would not rot. As we read those words that are stated in the first person, we think that David's talking about himself. But the problem with that is that David's soul did go to Hades. It did go to the place of the departed. And his his body did see corruption. This is in fact what Peter's going to, to point out. He says that he and everyone there know exactly, know the truth, that David died and David was buried. Now, as Joel and Evelyn probably are discovering firsthand, and from what I've heard, there are many sites in Israel where it's debated whether or not this is the actual place that things happened. And, and the actual location of David's tomb is even debated. but Peter here in, in the first century seems to assume that everyone who's gathered there knows exactly where David is buried. He may have even you know as he's preaching in Jerusalem, he could have pointed in the direction. We all know David's buried right down there. We know where he's at. They could have even walked there if they wanted to, but they didn't they didn't need to. They knew what Peter was saying was true. David's tomb, was there with them because David had died. And whatever was left of David's body was in the tomb. In fact, as strange as it sounds, I think that Peter almost wants us to think about what's left of David's body there. This idea of of corruption, of of rotting that, that has happened. What might David's corpse look like now? And with that picture in mind, how do we understand what he wrote? You will not let your Holy One see corruption? Well Peter here is filled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit and he's also just been taught by Jesus about the kingdom for 40 days and so he reads Psalm 16 and he says David wasn't talking about himself. He was a prophet and he was talking about Jesus and Jesus's resurrection. Peter here models for us what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus where he shows that all the scriptures speak of him. Peter, I think, is telling us something that he learned probably in those days where Jesus taught him. Of course, David knew that he would die, just as we all will die unless Christ returns in our lifetime. And like David, whether we're buried or we're burned, our bodies will face decay and corruption. From dust we come, to dust we will return. And so when David spoke about his soul and his body, he was actually speaking about the one who would come, who would die, but then would rise from the dead. He was speaking of the one who would not see corruption, whose body would not rot, even though it was buried. He was speaking about the one who would fulfill the promise that he that he mentions there in verse 30, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. This is the, the covenant that God made with, with David in 2 Samuel 7 that one of His descendants would reign forever on His throne. And that descendant is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. He is the seed of Abraham through whom all nations would be blessed. He is the root from the stump of Jesse. He is the King of kings from the tribe of Judah and from the line of David. God has made Jesus Lord in Christ and He's done it by raising Him from the dead and all the prophets, including David, attest to that. David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus. So we know that He's resurrected because it was foretold by the prophets, but also because it was witnessed by the apostles. Verse 32, we're told again that God raised Jesus up, but then the phrase is added, and of that we all... Our witnesses, these 120 disciples, the the 12 apostles stood forth as people who had seen Jesus alive. They had seen him risen from the dead and they were not witnesses of some unseen reality. This was not a resurrection in their hearts, but they were ready to stake their lives on the testimony, testimony that they saw and they touched and they heard and they smelled the risen Jesus and they watched him eat fish. And they've talked to him for all these days. They were eyewitnesses of his bodily resurrection. So Peter says to us, and I say to you, brothers and sisters, friends, God raised Jesus from the dead. He died, but it was impossible for death to hold him. This resurrection was foretold by David, it was witnessed to by the apostles and the disciples. And this resurrection announces now, as it did the day that Peter preached the sermon, that Jesus is Lord and Christ because he has raised, been raised from the dead. Of course, if he's been raised from the dead, then where is he now? I think we could ask that question today, but surely they would have asked that question. Peter saying, Jesus died, but he's been raised from the dead. And if I'm in the crowd, I will say, well, then why are you the one preaching? Where is he? Let, let's hear from Jesus. Peter goes on then to explain that he was resurrected, but he also has been and now is exalted. He is exalted. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Jesus is not there preaching instead of Peter because Jesus has been exalted to the Father's right hand. Peter doesn't mention it, but we know from chapter 1 that they they were witnesses of this miracle too. They saw Jesus ascend into the heavens. They heard the voice of these angels who told them that just as He had gone into heaven, so too He would return. They saw this. They were witnesses. And again, the prophets witness to this exaltation. Peter draws out another prophecy, from David, from Psalm 110, which is the most often quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Um, He talks about, uh, even even Jesus Himself quotes this passage to show the Pharisees and the religious leaders that David knew that someone greater than him was coming, of of one who was David's Lord. That's why it says, the Lord said to my Lord. He knew about one who would come and who would sit at the right hand of, of God's power and whose enemies would all be defeated. And as with Psalm 16, Peter again says, this didn't happen to David. David didn't ascend into heaven. David did not fulfill this prophecy. But Jesus, ten days earlier, did. He ascended. He was and He is exalted. Jesus was exalted, the disciples witnessed it, it, and David prophesied that it would happen. But now Peter comes full circle, and he says that this the pouring out of the Spirit, remember, that's what started this whole issue, is everyone's walking around speaking in different tongues, and the power of the Spirit's coming upon them. He says now that the pouring out of the Spirit that they are witnessing is actually evidence that Jesus has been exalted. How do we know Jesus has been exalted? Because of the pouring out of the Spirit the pouring out of the spirit the coming of the spirit is not only the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy but it is proof of the exaltation of Jesus as Lord and Christ Queen Elizabeth II she succeeded the throne in uh, the throne of England on February 6, 1952. This was after the death of her father King George VI. February 6, 1952. However, she was not crowned later until her coronation, which was June 2, 1953. So she was still queen for a year and five months, but her new reign was celebrated at her coronation. And that day, 65 years ago, if you can imagine that, 65 years ago this June was a day of celebration throughout England and all its territories. And as with all celebrations, There were presents in some areas, babies who were born on that day had two guineas that were put into the bank for them Um, throughout the United Kingdom. Children up to the age of 11 received a coronation mug and a tin full of chocolates. Uh, Older children could receive a mug or a glass, a Bible, a spoon or a brooch And women who were 65 years and older and men who were 75 years of age and older were given a canister that had a half pound of tea in it. Because Coronation Day is a day of celebration. And when you celebrate, you give gifts. On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, he was exalted as the king over death. He certainly was also king from eternity past. But in another sense, the day of Pentecost was Coronation Day. And therefore it was a day for giving gifts. And all of his children received the gift. They received what he was pouring out. Not mugs and not chocolates and not tea. But they received the fullness of the Spirit poured out on them. Notice that chain of events in verse 3. Being therefore exalted at verse 33 being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So He's exalted to the right hand of the Father, the seat of power and the seat of authority. Then He receives from the Father the promise of the Spirit. Now certainly He had received the Spirit at His baptism, but now He's, as it were, given the Spirit to do with as He pleases because of His resurrection and His exaltation. And having been given the Spirit by the Father, He takes the Spirit and pours it out on His children. We speak about Pentecost as the the coming of the Spirit. I use that word. But remember that Acts is about all that Jesus continued to do and teach, right? So we should also note that it is in fact Jesus who is giving the Spirit. Jesus who is pouring out the Spirit on all flesh. This is a work of Christ. On our behalf, the spirit is sent by Christ. And in doing this, he shows that he has been exalted. Here's a summary from Sinclair Ferguson of what I'm trying to say. He, the sending of the spirit, he says, is quote, is the visible manifestation of a coronation. The events of the day of Pentecost are the public expression of the hidden reality that Christ has been exalted as the Lord of glory. And that his messianic request for the Spirit made as mediator on our behalf has been granted. Ferguson goes on to say that the coming of the Spirit is therefore the evidence of the enthronement of Christ, just as the resurrection is the evidence of the efficacy of the death of Christ as atonement. Ferguson, and we could talk about this more as we sit around the tables and eat, but Ferguson then concludes that Pentecost is not something that we should expect to be repeated. The Spirit's power surely is, is the same, but the uniqueness of this event was as unique as any coronation. It's as unique as Christ's resurrection. Queen Elizabeth will not have another coronation, and neither will Jesus, though there will be a day when everyone finally recognizes that He is Lord and He is King, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Of course, we don't need to wait for that day, right? Because we know now who Christ is. God has declared His verdict regarding who Jesus is. And we are now called to either affirm what God has declared, or we can deny what God has declared about Jesus. Those gathered had seen Jesus attested by miracles and signs and wonders, but they had rejected Him and crucified them. Him. Peter reminds them in verse 36 that this very Jesus, whom God had declared Lord and Christ, they crucified. It's a stinging indictment. But, behold God's grace as Peter in the midst of this holds out redemption to them. They had denied who Jesus was days earlier, but there is hope. Hope that they could now see what they had missed when He was on earth. And they can now still bow before Him as King, as Savior. Hope is always available. Maybe you've denied who Jesus is. You've rejected the thought that He is the only hope of salvation or that He is the Lord. He's the King that you must submit to. There's still hope. Or maybe... You've already come to see who He is, but you find that there are, are ways that you are living where you're seeming to announce with your life that you don't believe this, that you don't believe He is Savior, you don't believe He is Lord. There's grace and there's hope for you today to say with Peter that God has made Jesus Lord in Christ and that you too have made Him Lord and Christ. You've acknowledged who He is. There are a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. Many declarations about him. Everyone wants to have Jesus in their camp and say who he was. Maybe he's a great moral teacher. He's a prophet of of some kind. Maybe he's just some man who lived and was killed by Rome. Maybe some people say he never really lived at all. There are countless thoughts, countless opinions about Jesus. But what we find in Acts chapter 2 is Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us what God thinks about Jesus. Peter tells us what God has declared about Jesus through his, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. And what God declares about Jesus, what God says about Jesus is, He is Lord. He is equal with the Father. He is the true Son of God. He is ruler over all. And He calls us to let Him reign over us. Not only is He Lord, but He is Christ. He is the the Messiah, the Promised One. He is the Savior of the world for all who will repent and put their faith in Him. As we'll see, His salvation doesn't come through our righteous deeds, but it comes through faith in who Jesus is and what He has done. He is the Savior, and He saves we who have no hope of ever saving ourselves. This Peter's sermon says to us that through His attestation, His crucifixion, His being delivered up, His being raised up, His exaltation, through all these clear evidence, God says of Jesus, He is Lord and He is Christ. So I would ask you some questions to close. Would you argue with God's verdict about who Jesus is? Would you reject the clear declaration of the God of the universe about His Son's identity? If you would, think about the pride and the audacity to do that. To see what God has said about who Jesus is and to say, That's wrong. Would you choose rather to quiet Him? Would you choose as those in that day did to crucify Him? Or will you bow before Him as your Savior and as your Lord? Will you receive and live in the fullness of the Spirit that He has given to all His children until the day that He returns? Let all the house of Israel know. Let everyone here know. Let all the world know, therefore, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This is who Jesus is.